Chapter Twenty Five of the Girls of St. Wodes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. The Girls of St. Wodes by L. T. Mead. Chapter Twenty Five. The Prayer of Faith. In her shabby serge dress, the marks of tears still round her eyes, her cheeks flushed, her short hair tossed. Marjorie Chetwynd ran downstairs, accompanied by Leslie. Mrs. Chetwynd was still lying in her room trying to have a little rest. Letty was writing letters to anxious friends. The girls had just opened the door when they saw Belle Acheson coming up the steps. "'How is she now?' said Belle. "'Why, dear me, Leslie, how very quickly you got here, and you look as if you were quite at home. How is Eileen, Marjorie? By the way, you look rather bad yourself.' "'Please don't speak about me. It doesn't matter whether I am ill or well,' replied Marjorie. "'Don't keep me now, Belle. Eileen is as ill as she can be, and I am going to pray for her. Leslie says that is the only thing to do, and we are both going to church. Will you come with us? Surely the more who pray to God the better.' "'I will certainly come,' replied Belle quietly. She turned at once, and the girls walked down the street side by side. There was a church at the farther end of the square, a church which was open all day to those who needed it. The three girls entered. It was hot outside, but here it was still and cool. They walked up the aisle and turned into one of the pews and knelt down. Marjorie knelt in the middle. Her head was pressed upon her hands. Leslie had always found prayer easy. In her short life she had prayed a good deal, finding prayer the greatest support in each hour of trial, but of late, since her own great trouble had come, she had almost forgotten to pray, and now it seemed difficult. It was not until she ceased to remember herself and thought only of her friend that her words went up to God, at first in broken utterances, then more earnestly and more full of faith. A low sob came from Marjorie's lips. This sob was echoed by Leslie. Belle had taken up a prayer book, had opened it, and was reading in a semi-whisper some of the prayers for the sick. After a very few moments, Marjorie rose to her feet. "'I have prayed,' she said. "'I have told God exactly what I want. He will hear. He must. It would be wrong, cruel, monstrous for Eileen, beautiful Eileen, to die. Come home now, Leslie,' she continued. The three left the church as silently as they had entered. It was not until they reached Marjorie's door that Belle spoke. "'Good-bye, Marjorie,' she said, holding out her hand. Goodbye. I will call again. But before I go, tell me, do tell me, if you seriously believe in all this. I, said Marjorie, she hesitated. The look of peace which had dawned upon her worn and anxious face left it. Before she could reply, Leslie answered with flashing eyes, Marjorie believes, or she could not have prayed as she did. And of course I believe, she continued. I believe in a God, and that he answers prayer. "'I wonder if he will,' said Belle, with a queer, new sort of expression on her face. "'It will be very strange. I shall be most curious to know. Good-bye, Marjorie. Good-bye, Leslie.' She turned and walked down the street. When she had gone a couple of hundred yards, she turned back, and called out to the other girls, who were still standing on the steps of the house. "'I will come to-morrow to find out. It will be very curious if it is true. It will make an immense difference to me.' Then she walked on, swaying slightly from side to side. 
Marjorie put her hand quickly to her forehead. I never felt less in sympathy with Belle than I do at this moment, she said. Now you, Leslie, really soothed me. It was nice to feel you kneeling by my side. It seemed to me that some of your faith came to me. I do not feel nearly so unhappy now, not so restless, nor so uncertain. Leslie kissed her. I can understand that, she said. You have put the matter into God's hands. You are resting on God. That is the reason why you do not feel so miserable. The girls entered the little boudoir which Mrs. Chetwynd had so carefully prepared for her darlings. Letty was seated by the window. "'Where have you both been?' she cried. "'I have been looking for you everywhere. Aunt Helen is in a painful state of excitement.' "'What about?' "'Well, Nurse did not much like Eileen's state, and Dr. Erickson came in a hurry, and he says he wishes another doctor to be called in, one of the very great specialists. The doctor is coming almost immediately. Aunt Helen says we are none of us to go upstairs.' There is to be the most absolute quiet, and fresh straw has been ordered to be put down in the street. Leslie, are you really going to stay here? She certainly is, said Marjorie. I wouldn't part with her on any account. I will write a line to Mother, if you will allow me, said Leslie. Of course, if I can be of the least use to Marjorie, I shall be glad to stay. Here is paper, if you want it, said Letty. I am very glad you are staying, for my part. Leslie wrote a short note. When it was finished, Letty took it from the room. "'I cannot sympathize with Letty either,' said Marjorie when Letty was gone. Then she sat down by the window and did not speak any more. Sometimes she closed her eyes, and sometimes Leslie, who had taken up a book and was trying to read, fancied she saw her lips moving. Was she once again praying to God? Was faith, the first real faith she had ever known, truly visiting her heart?' and helping her through this dark hour of tribulation? Mrs. Chetwynd did not come downstairs again, and presently the footman appeared and told the girls that dinner was ready. "'I cannot eat,' said Marjorie. "'Eat when all that makes life valuable hangs in the balance?' "'But you must eat, dear,' said Leslie. "'You will feel much worse if you do not. Come with me.' "'Do, Marjorie, try not to be such a humbug,' said Letty in an almost cross voice. You don't know how you add to the trouble of everybody when you go on in that silly way. First of all, Leslie, she absolutely immured herself in Eileen's room, refused to leave it day or night, and distracted poor Aunt Helen and the nurse, and now that she has come out of the room, she is doing her utmost to make herself ill. Don't say any more, cried Marjorie. I will come downstairs. Her face was white as death. The three girls entered the dining room. Leslie's persuasions joined, perhaps, to some of Letty's tartar remarks, induced Marjorie to take a little food, but the oppression and solemnity of the scene seemed to have got into the air. Presently, the sound of wheels, muffled as they drove over the straw, was distinctly heard, and then two doctors' browhams drew up at the door. Dr. Erickson got out of his, and an elderly, benevolent-looking man out of the other. They both entered the house. "'What shall I do?' cried Marjorie. "'I cannot stand this.' "'Oh, I feel somehow it will be all right, and remember we have prayed about it,' said Leslie. She went up to Marjorie. "'Come back to the boudoir,' she said. "'You are nearer to her there.' "'Well, I shall stay here,' said Letty. "'I don't know what there is about you, Leslie, and about Marjorie, but the pair of you make me feel quite nervous. We are doing all we can, that is, Aunt Helen is.' 
and really I do think that one ought to try to retain a little strength of mind. If the very worst of all had happened, you could not be going on more terribly than you are at present, Marjorie. I cannot help feeling, if that is what you mean, said Marjorie. She went upstairs, and Leslie followed her. The noise of people walking overhead was heard. They are in her room now, said Marjorie. She clutched hold of Leslie still tighter. Oh, Leslie, what should I do if you were not with me? You know she is my twin. No one was ever quite so near to me. We think the same. We do everything the same. All our pursuits, all our desires, are the same. I cannot live without her. If she dies, I shall die. But she shall not die, dear. Oh, I know, but she is in such terrible danger now. You said, Leslie, that if it were good for her, God would spare her. And he will, Marjorie. Cannot you try to understand? If it is best for her to go to God, he will not leave her in the world just because you selfishly wish it. But it may be best for her to stay here. She may have much to do yet in her life on earth. If she is spared, I shall become religious at once, said Marjorie. Leslie could not help smiling. Were you not religious before, she asked? Oh, after a fashion, but never the real thing. Eileen and I both professed a little, and Eileen the darling was, I believe, in earnest, but I don't think I ever was. I wanted, of course, to lead a useful life, and I thought myself very much better than Mother or Mrs. Atchison. I believe now that I was selfish about Mother. Perhaps we both were, even darling Eileen. But, you know, she always did what I did. I was the first to suggest a thing, and then Eileen followed suit. If we were selfish, she was not to blame. Leslie, Leslie, the doctors are coming downstairs. I wonder if they will tell us anything. I know Mother won't for a long, long time. I'll go and ask, then, said Leslie, jumping up. She went to the door, opened it, and stepped onto the landing. The two doctors came downstairs. And what young lady is this, said Dr. Howard, pausing for a moment and looking at her. He was a tall and very benevolent-looking man, with white hair and dark eyes. "'I want to know,' said Leslie. She paused. Marjorie had not dared to come out of the boudoir. "'I want to know the truth, if there is any hope.' "'Are you the sister of the young lady?' asked the medical man. "'No, only a great friend. But her sister, her twin sister, is in the other room, and she wants to know, and cannot find out.' "'I understand.' "'Too upset to ask, poor girl,' said the doctor. "'Erickson, if you will permit me, I will go in and see that young lady.' "'Oh, how kind of you,' said Leslie. She opened the door, and both doctors went in. Marjorie had flung herself down in a chair and covered her face with her hands. "'Now, my dear girl, what is this?' said Dr. Howard. "'We shall be having two patients instead of one if this sort of thing goes on. Give me your hand. I assure you, Erickson. This young lady's pulse is bounding at such a rate that we shall have her in a fever if we don't look out. This will never do. As to your sister, Miss Chetwynd. Oh, what about her? cried Marjorie. She flung down her hands and looked up at the doctor with eyes full of agony. Good gracious, what a likeness between the two, said Dr. Howard. Well, my dear, I will tell you the simple truth. I know you will be a brave girl. Your sister is in danger. A bad case of typhoid fever always means that, you understand. But I have hope, and so has my friend Erickson, that we shall pull her through. There is no cause for immediate anxiety, but much depends on the next twenty-four hours. 
Erickson is going to stay up tonight with your sister, and as for you, Miss Marjorie, you must go to bed and have a rest. I am sorry to tell you, Dr. Howard, said Dr. Erickson, that Miss Marjorie has been behaving in a very natural but also a very reprehensible manner. She has insisted on living in her sister's room, has done herself no good, and— Oh, well, as you say, that is natural, said Dr. Howard, who could read character like a book. Poor child, she feels this terribly. Give her a sleeping draught, Erickson, won't you? And now, my dear, go to bed as soon as possible, and leave your sister's case in our hands. And, he added, dropping his voice to a whisper, in the hands of a better physician. He left the room. When he had done so, Marjorie burst into tears. Oh, now I can breathe, now I can sleep, she said. The hard and terrible strain has left my heart. Yes, Leslie, I shall sleep tonight. I am dead tired. End of chapter 25 Recording by Claire